this out and turn with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to be this morning in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. So Exodus verses 1 through 7. Maybe it's going to be one of those kind of mornings. We'll find out. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you've been following along very closely, you may remember that last week we ended in Exodus chapter 6, and that there was still a little bit left in Exodus chapter 6. So I I don't believe that any word in God's Word is there by accident. I don't believe that any word is there haphazardly. But what we are going to skip over this morning is the genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Okay, So if you really are interested in the intricate details of the family heritage of Moses and Aaron, you can just read the end of Exodus Chapter 6. We serve a God who is a God that writes down names. And it is a good thing that we serve a God who writes down names. Because if you and I will put our faith in Jesus Christ, our name gets written in the blood of the Lamb, in the Lamb's book of life, and that's important. So, those names being there are important. I do not want to make it seem like that's a less important part of Scripture. But what we're going to dive into today is kind of an opening to a phrase that's going to be repeated throughout the book of Exodus. And so we're going to examine this morning these phrases we run across about Pharaoh having a hard heart. There are times where it's said that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. There's times where it is said in Scripture that Pharaoh's heart was hard. There's times where God Himself is said to be hardening Pharaoh's heart. There's also times where Pharaoh is said to be hardening his own heart. So we're going to look at that this morning because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes when we read these passages and we read a phrase like, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, says the Lord. Or a phrase that says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. That can be terrifying if it's misunderstood. Does this mean that the Lord just willy-nilly will just harden somebody's heart and turn them against Him? Does it mean that God will just set people opposed to Him and never let them repent? Does this mean that when God uh, sees people at the judgment seat, there's going to be those who say, God, I, I really, I wanted to trust in You. I wanted to believe in You, but You wouldn't let me. You hardened my heart. Well, let's take a little bit of time this morning to dive into what this phrase Means, and I can rest assured, you can rest assured that nowhere in Scripture does it teach us that there will be people who stand before the Lord one day and say, God, I wanted to be a Christian. Lord, I wanted to believe. I wanted to give you my life. I wanted to follow you, but you wouldn't let me. There might be people who try and say that, who try and use that excuse. It's similar to what we saw when the guys went to Pharaoh and said, but Pharaoh, you're not giving a straw. It's actually your fault. When we stand before the Lord, if we say it's His fault that we didn't believe, everyone in attendance, all of creation, all those who are there around the throne will know there is no truth to that statement. It tells us in 1 Peter, God desires that none should perish. So let's take some time and examine this passage this morning. If you are a note-taking kind of person, this is a note-taking kind of sermon, all right? So if you want to get out your phone and take notes in your phone, if you got a scrap piece of paper and you want to jot down notes in there, we're going to dive into some language. But I promise if you will bear with me, this is very much worth it, okay? So 
Exodus chapter 7, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. So, if you're there with me in Scripture, once again I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word as we look together now at these first seven verses in the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus. The word of the Lord says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we have talked along the way about the importance of the name of God. Even as recently as last week, we talked about how God is saying to Moses, I am going to reveal myself to you in a way that I did not reveal myself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Part of that way is the Exodus. The events of the Exodus are a defining moment for the rest of Israel's history. All the rest of the writings you run across in the Old Testament are going to refer back to this moment. Everything in Scripture builds this as the main event of a huge pay-per-view spectacle. I want you to think about this has been advertised for months on end. This is the fight of the century. Think of all of the phrases and chapters and passages that have led us up to this very point. Even in chapter 6, kind of restating and reiterating some of the things and summarizing some of Moses' experience to set up this incredible fight, this incredible struggle between Pharaoh in Egypt and Yahweh, the one true living God. Everything about Scripture is pointing us to this one moment. And so God is about to enter into the ring with Pharaoh. I mean, I want you to visualize that what the text is doing for us this morning is the microphone dropping down in the middle of the ring of the boxing ring, all right? And the guy, you know the guy, you know his voice, you know, he walks up there, Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for the main event. In this corner, weighing in at maybe around 150, 200 pounds, the son of Amon-Ra, king of all of Egypt, Pharaoh! And all the Egyptians go, yeah, yeah, Pharaoh, woo! And in this corner, weighing an indeterminable amount because he is immeasurable and unfathomable, the one who created all the universe, and by his voice all things are in existence, the one and only true living God, And all of these, Israel just erupts, and all of these, this is what Scripture is setting up for us. It's not by accident. It comes to that point on 
purpose. And when God steps into the ring with Pharaoh, God doesn't want a fluke. God doesn't want a quick one-punch knockout. He doesn't want Pharaoh going down in the second round. He wants the people to get their money's worth. So there's going to be ten plagues. So that means Pharaoh's going to have to last for ten rounds. Because God wants to humiliate Pharaoh for ten straight rounds. And one by one, each plague puts another Egyptian false god to shame. And the Lord humiliates all the gods of Egypt one by one by one. I want you to think even specifically... Pharaoh was noted as the son of Amon-Re, the sun god. And one of the plagues is darkness. God shuts the sun off for all of Egypt. The only place where there is light is the land where the Israelites live in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh is supposed to be the son of the sun god. How can Pharaoh let somebody else turn the lights off? He's the son of the sun god. That shouldn't be possible. What's going on? God utterly humiliates Pharaoh and every Egyptian god one by one by one. And Pharaoh is so cocky starting this off. He's so arrogant because not only do they believe in other gods, in this time in ancient Egypt and in the ancient Near East, you have to remember they thought gods were very territorial. So Pharaoh is so arrogant because he thinks... Well, even if Yahweh is a real God, even if He's a deity, He can't touch me here in Egypt. He can't touch me next to the Nile. He can't touch me in my home court. I've got every advantage over Yahweh. So Pharaoh is thinking, there's no way I'm letting these Israelites go. There's no way I'm bowing down to this Yahweh. But along the way, Pharaoh gets scared because he's human. Pharaoh gets nervous because God's really showing these gods a thing or two. And so Pharaoh wants to quit. But God says, you know what, Pharaoh, you you can't quit just yet. I'm, I'm not done with you just yet. So that's where we run into these phrases. God has to harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will stay in the game. Look at verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. God says to Moses and Aaron, the Egyptians are going to know without a shadow of a doubt that I am the Lord Yahweh and I am the only real God. And he says that so that they will understand the context within which God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So so let's do a little bit of study on what this phrase is and what these words mean. Because there's a nuance here that is just incredible that that I, I believe God just showed me this week, okay? Now listen, when we go into Hebrew studies, I want to remind you that you don't have to know Greek or Hebrew to get the absolute most out of your Bible. You can take your Bible and we have wonderful English translations like the ESV, the CSB, the King James Version, all these great English translations of the Bible. You can read those and get everything you need to know about the fact that Jesus is the only Messiah, the only way, the only truth, the only life, and nobody goes to the Father except through Jesus. But I just want you to think about some of these language studies 
Help us to add nuance and detail to these stories that we've known all of our lives or that we've been taught from vacation Bible school or, or maybe we've just read them on our own as an adult. It's the difference between me saying, hey, somebody came to Best Buy while I worked there and picked up a really big TV in a small car. Now that, that seems, okay, wow, that's, that's great. I, I get the picture of the story, I understand. But see, it adds a nuance to it when I tell you that it was a Toyota Corolla and that it was an 85-inch television. Now your wheels are spinning. How did you get an 85-inch television on the top of or inside of a Toyota Corolla? The physics of that just don't work. You see, it just adds a little bit of nuance to the story. It, it adds just some extra oomph. But you get the story just the same. So let's look at some Hebrew words together, all right? I want us to look together at the three words that are used for harden, okay? So in the entire book of Exodus, there are three separate words that are used for harden. The three words are on the screen for us, okay? Now, in Hebrew, you have to remember, they only write down the letters that are consonants. So the vowels are are made by little points and markings, so that's why... The letters that are capitalized are capitalized. So that first word is kasha. So the word kasha means hard. It, it, it's the word kasha like this is hard and a pillow is soft. The next word is hazak. There's a special nuance to hazak. Then kavod. There's a special nuance to kavod. These are the only three words in the book of Exodus that are used to reference Pharaoh's heart being hard. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, golly, in English it's just the one word. So, uh, I mean, like Pharaoh's heart was hard, what else do we need to know? But that's where it gets interesting. Go to the next slide for me, Chris. Kasha, like we said, hard as in firm. Hard as in it's a brick, it's steel, it's, it's different than soft, which is a pillow. So there's only one time that this word is used. There's only one time that the understanding of the... Hebrews reading this passage, or the Egyptians reading this account of how the Israelites left their land, would see the word hard and it be like a hard surface. Go to the next one, Chris. Hazak is also used for fortify. If you use the verb hazak as a noun, it means fortress. It means to strengthen. And it also means make stubborn. This word is used most often in the entire book of Exodus for what happens to Pharaoh's heart. Hazak is a very important word. It's not just hard, but hard like a fortress. Hard like a mule's mind being made up. A stubbornness about it. And then move on to the last one. Now this one will have very special significance in just a little bit. This is the word for kavod. It means hard like a heavy stone. It means heavy Kavod means there's a weightiness to it. This is the same word that can be used to describe the glory of God because God's glory has weight to it. And they mean it has weight to it in the sense that it has significance. So kavod means hard, but it also means a heavy hardness, like a heavy, hard stone. So let's look at how these words are used. Move on to the next one for me, Chris. Kasha is only used one time. There's only one occurrence of the word kasha, and it happens in our passage this morning. In chapter 7, verse 3, we're told that the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart kasha. He'll make it hard. Instead of pumping and soft, and it'll be a rock. It'll be 
hard like steel. Alright? Then you see Hazak. Eleven different times the Lord Hazaks Pharaoh's heart. And when you think about the word Hazak, I want you to picture somebody that has paid to go skydiving. Alright? And they're up there in the plane. Now, they've changed the way that they do it these days. Your first few jumps have to be a tandem jump. So they have had so many people chicken out of jumping out of airplanes their first time that now the policies say if you're going to go jump out of an airplane, you got to be strapped to the instructor. So when the instructor's sitting there facing backwards and he jumps out of the plane or she jumps out of the plane, you're stuck to them. You're going out that plane. That's Hazak, okay? What happens is, Pharaoh is on the edge of the plane, and he's looking out, and, oh man, 12,000 feet is a lot higher than I thought! Oh goodness, okay, alright, 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 they're going to count me down, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump, alright, three, two, one, this is a long way down, I don't know if I can do it. That's Pharaoh in this fight with the Lord. Things get dark and Pharaoh's like, all right, I got it. Oh man, he turned out the lights. Everybody thinks I keep the lights on, but now the lights are off. I gotta let them go. I gotta let them go. Look at all these locusts. They're eating everything. There's nothing left. There's, I mean, they, the cows are dying. The cow- Look at the gnats. I can't even see my hand because it's covered in gnats. And what's up with these frogs everywhere I look? Have you tried to sleep at night when there's millions and millions of frogs everywhere? And they ain't the quiet frogs. They're them loud frogs that go, bat, 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 bat. I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this God. This is over. And he's at the edge of the plane. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And so the Lord hazaks Pharaoh's heart, fortifies his heart, strengthens his will, doubles down on Pharaoh so that he will do what is necessary. So that what we read, they will bring out, God will bring out the Israelites and all of Egypt will know who the real God is. So, imagine God being the tandem person strapped to Pharaoh, right? And now Pharaoh's at the edge of the plane, and Pharaoh's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. But see, the Lord's strapped to him, and he goes, here we go, Pharaoh! Out of the plane they go. When we think about the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart, we have to think about God strengthening His will, making Him so stubborn as to not give up. Pharaoh, there's more gods in your little pantheon that I have to humiliate. I can't have you quitting on me now. You think you're not jumping out of this plane, but you strapped to me, buddy. We going. Hazak is used 11 times. Every time Hazak is used, it's the Lord who's doing the hardening. Every time. Not a single time does it refer to Pharaoh being stubborn in his own heart. Every time Pharaoh says he will harden his heart, it uses the word kavod. Let's look at a breakdown of it. Chris, go to the next slide. Eighteen times these three words are used. And here's the breakdown of how they're used in context. The Lord prophesies, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's one of the passages we have this morning. Chapter 7, verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's the only use of Kassah. Every other time, we're talking about Hazak. So then, the Lord Himself hardened 
Pharaoh's heart. Shows up six times. Then there's this description in there six different times that attributes it to nobody. It doesn't say that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't say in the text that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It just says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So you you just have to inference for yourself. It's just a statement of fact. Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's not attributing that to the Lord or to Pharaoh. And then these three extremely significant times, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. But every time that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, Chris, go to that next slide. The word kavod is used. And it's important because Pharaoh makes his own heart heavy. And I know that might not make a lot of sense to you right now. But Chris, go to the next slide for me. Let's see how well we can see this. These are hieroglyphs from Egypt, from ancient Egypt. In their mythology, they believed that this ceremony happened when people died. Instead of standing before the Lord at the pearly gates, you stood before this jury. If you can see all of these false gods that they have for all these different things lined up across the top in their seats. And they're the jury overseeing this ceremony. And what happens here is their god Anubis is the one right at the scales with the dog head. And Anubis gets a feather from Osiris, one of the main gods. And he puts the feather on one side of the scale. And then whoever it is, they take their heart spiritually, metaphorically, figuratively. They believe that when they die, this is the ceremony that they will approach. And their heart is placed on the other side of the scale. And so then there's another god over there on the, on the outside. His name is Thoth. I don't know why they called him Thoth. just must have been something they wanted to call him. He's the secretary, the note taker. So he's making sure that everything gets recorded correctly. So if your heart weighs more than that feather, it gets written down that your heart outweighed the feather. And then, instead of making it to paradise... Instead of making it to their next stage of afterlife where all is blissful and wonderful, this weird demon thing at the very far side of the picture, his name is Amet. He's got the head of a crocodile, the front half of his body is a lion, the back half of his body is a hippo. Three things that were absolutely detrimental to the Egyptians. So it's the symbol of everything bad to Egypt. And Amet jumps up and eats your heart and you are abolished. You exist no more. They were annihilationists. Either you made it to paradise or you didn't. But they believed that everybody that died faced this ceremony. Everybody. And all the pharaohs, because they were the son of the sun god, descendant from Amon Re himself, all of them just had passed like nobody's business. Nobody, that scale never tipped one way or the other. Osiris gave that feather to Anubis. Anubis puts it on one side. He takes Pharaoh's heart. He's not even paying attention. Hey, we'll just throw it up here. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. All right, Pharaoh, come on through. But you see, in Scripture, they decided to use the word kavod. God moved on Moses to write the word kavod. Because when Pharaoh hardens his own heart, he causes himself to sin and makes his heart heavy. And when Egyptians read this story, 
they would understand that their Pharaoh, their perfect God, who is the Son of the Son God, sinned. And if he were to face the ceremony of the weighing of the heart, he would fail miserably because his heart was heavy with sin against the one true living God. There's a reason they use kavod. And there's a reason that every time Pharaoh's heart is hard, it's the word kavod. Because even though God strengthened Pharaoh's resolve, Pharaoh's the one who hardens his heart in a sinful way. Pharaoh is the one who rejects God and adds weight to his own heart. The Lord's not adding weight to Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is adding weight to his own heart. So that even in their own false religion system, everybody will see God, Yahweh, is right and Pharaoh is wrong. And so that happens throughout all the book of Exodus. We have a God who forces Pharaoh into the fight, humiliates him and the rest of his gods, but Pharaoh is still personally responsible for his own sin. Pharaoh is still the one who adds sin and hardness and weight to his own heart. And you might be thinking, wow, preacher, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was something. I feel like I've been to language class. Maybe I've been through a seminary course now. I, I don't know. I, that's, that's a great lesson. It was a good lecture. What does that have to do with my day-to-day life? What's that got to do with me? That's a great question. Why don't we address it? If you'll remember, Jake read a very specific passage for us. Chris, will you pull that passage back up from Ephesians chapter 4? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul's writing to people who believe in the Lord Jesus as the only way of salvation. He's writing to a church that has been established, that he spent a lot of time at. He's writing to believers. So this applies to you and I as believers. He says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Folks, Paul is encouraging these believers not to become callous like they were. Not to harden their hearts like they used to be. If you're in Christ, then you are a new creation. But even those who are in Christ, we have a tendency to become callous and to harden our hearts. We have a tendency to kind of be not ourselves. And you know, sometimes it's so subtle, we don't even realize that it's happening. I used to love the Snickers commercials. All right? I don't watch enough TV to know if they're still on TV these days. And if I am watching TV, it's usually 
uh, Minnie Mouse these days. Uh, Minnie, Minnie, point to TV. Minnie, that's all, that's all that's on my TV these days, okay? Lily rules the roost already, so I, I don't know if these Snickers commercials are still out there. But you remember the one that with Betty White? Good gracious, it was the greatest commercial I believe I'd ever seen. It's Betty White playing tackle football out there with a bunch of guys. And like, I mean, she straight up gets cleaned off the clock and I mean, just laid out and gets back to the huddle and you know, hobbles in and her friends, the friends are out there. You play like Betty White out there, man. And he goes, with that, oh, and gives a quick comeback, you know, and, and, and Betty White's in the huddle and, and all of a sudden, dude, eat a Snickers. And all of a sudden, he eats the Snickers, comes back to his regular self. He's no longer Betty White. And he said, you're not yourself when you're hungry. But he didn't realize he was playing like Betty White. You know, most of the time when we get short-tempered and we get hangry, when we get so hungry that we're angry, we don't know we're being short-tempered. How many times do you catch yourself in the midst of being short-tempered and frustrated and go, well, golly, I I believe I'm being unreasonable right now. If If you can do that, God bless you, you've got a spiritual gift that I have not yet attained, okay? Because most of the time I have to have somebody else inform me that I'm not acting like myself. And usually that's not a fun process either. What do you mean I'm being belligerent? What do you mean I'm being short-tempered? You're, you're being short-tempered. This, this ain't my... You know, I am acting a little unrational right now. Okay, okay, okay. maybe you're right. You see, the same thing happens to us in our spiritual lives. We become callous. We become hard-hearted to what God is doing in us and among us. And we, we block out the light of the gospel and all we see is what's wrong with the world. There's situations and things that we come across where we don't know how to act like ourselves. We don't know how to act like Christians anymore. Instead of responding to people with mercy and compassion, we end up responding to people with negativity and anger. You, you know when this happens. I, I can tell you when it happens for me, but you know when this happens for you. Happens for me when I'm driving. Happens for me when I'm waiting in line. I get impatient. Somebody comes up to me and bothers me at the wrong time. And instead of having mercy and compassion, because they've got their own thing going on, instead of having any sympathy towards them, my immediate response is to cut them off and approach them with negativity and hostility. When those things become habitual, we have to watch out that we are not living like Pharaoh and hardening our hearts against God and against the movements of God in our lives. First Thessalonians tells us, it says, do not quench the Spirit. That's implying that you and I have the ability as believers to quench the Spirit. So that means if it says don't do it, don't do something that you are able to do. You and I can quench the Spirit and do that so consistently in our lives that we begin to forget what the voice of the Lord sounds like. We begin to forget how to respond to people the way that Jesus would respond in mercy and compassion. And our first response is negativity and hostility and anger and frustration. Instead of showing kindness and love to the poor and the needy, we begin to respond with self-righteousness and judgment. Listen, it is a surefire sign that my heart is callous and hard when my first response to somebody who is poor and in need is a self-righteous judgment on them. Folks, I... I don't care what their story is. I don't care what their background is. But for the grace of God, that would be me. 
But for God's grace and mercy in my life, I'd be on the side of the street with needle pokes all up my arm and a sign in my hand. We'll work for food. Please help me out. Anything you can give me. And when my first reaction is hostility and self-righteous judgment of that person and the terrible decisions they've made in their life. Oh, God, help me if He had responded to me that way. Then I know that I've allowed my heart, I've caused my heart to become heavy with sin and callous to the things of the Lord. Instead of seeing our siblings in Christ beyond race and ethnicity, we begin to store up animosity and malice towards one another. Instead of giving other Christians the benefit of the doubt because they are a brother or sister in Christ, we look to other factors that divide us first instead of the things that unite us in Christ. When these things are happening in our lives, we are acting like Pharaoh. As Pharaoh sees the God of all creation showing him up every step of the way, the Bible tells us instead of softening his response to God, he doesn't repent, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, he hardens his heart and doubles down. Now there are times where the Lord forced him to stay in the fight, but he is responsible for not repenting. He is responsible. Pharaoh is responsible for choosing the way of sinful hardness of heart. And folks, even if we are saved and redeemed, been walking with the Lord for decades, you and I can still fall back into the habits of our former life. And Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4, don't do it. Put on your new self. Walk in the light of the gospel. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Instead of relying on God for our daily provision, we begin to think we are self-sufficient. Look, especially in these times, okay? Especially when everything is upside down and topsy-turvy, everything within us tells us to conserve and preserve. I've got to have stored up food. I've got to take care of me and mine. And the Lord says, have an open hand. The Lord says, give freely and watch what I do. Give sacrificially and watch how I will bless you and how I will take care of you. We forget that the manna is daily. It's there every morning. And if we try to get one more homer, it's going to be rotten and filled with maggots the next morning. When we begin to rely on our pantries and our paychecks more than we rely on the Lord, it might be a sign that our heart has become hard like the heart of Pharaoh. That we're falling back into the ways of our former self and not living in our new life that God has given us. Listen, even in church, instead of trusting our spiritual leaders, we begin to think that everybody in here, we, I could do better. Those folks down there at that church, they don't know what they're doing. That's just stupid. You know, if I was in charge, here's what I'd do. It's poison. It's toxic. It's negativity. I, I welcome any and all constructive criticism, and that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm, you know that negativity I'm talking about. You've been there. You've walked in those shoes. You know why? I've walked in those shoes. I've been a punk teenager sitting behind a soundboard going, why on earth do we run our church services like this? Let me tell you what, if I was the pastor, I'd do things like this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? One day I became a pastor. And boy, have I had to eat a lot of crow. 
Folks, it's a sign that our hearts are getting hard when instead of loving correction, constructive criticism, our knee-jerk reaction is to criticize the church, the spiritual leaders of the church, the things that we're doing. Instead of hopping on board, we hop on board the negativity train. And look, I'm hoping this morning, this is your Snickers bar. Because i got to have a Snickers bar every now and again, and I don't even realize what I've become until I eat that little something, and it perks me back up, and I go, Ooh, man. Golly, I was being a jerk. Man, my heart was hard. My heart was callous. And if you don't think that all week long, I haven't thought, Dear God, please forgive me for how I've let my heart become like Pharaoh. In so many areas of my walk with Him. And church, I just want to ask this morning that we do the same. That we hear this story of how Pharaoh hardened his heart to the Lord. And added sin to his life. Made his heart heavy. Because of the callousness with which he approached the things of the Lord. And let's look at our own lives and see... Am I walking in my former self like Paul says? Or am I walking in the new life that Christ has given me? Am I hardening my heart to the gospel and to what God is doing in my life? Or am I actively walking in the light of the Lord? I've had to answer that question for myself all week long. So this morning, I believe God laid it on my heart to to. Propose that question to each of you. So this morning, how's your heart? How heavy, how callous is your heart this morning? Will you pray? Lord God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that even though we are stubborn, and hard-hearted, even though we are selfish and sinful and prideful individuals, Lord, I, I, I thank You that You are so patient and long-suffering with us. That You are so merciful and so kind. And God, this morning I pray that You would show us our sin. Show us how we have weighted down our hearts. Made them callous towards You and towards Your Spirit. Lord, help us to run from our former way of life and walk in new life that is found in the light of Your Gospel. God, maybe for some this morning, that, that's just a simple act of, of repentance and getting back to what we already knew was right. But Father, for some this morning, that, that might mean that they turn to You and that You, as the only one who draws... You tell us in John 6, no man comes to you unless your spirit draws them, Lord. I pray this morning that those who have a heart of stone, you melt their heart of stone and draw them unto yourself. Lord, that those who have never trusted in you would begin to trust and follow you for the very first time, Lord. That they would count the cost of what it means to be a believer and that they would love you and follow you. God, because we know, Lord, You teach us in Your Word, it's, it's not like the Egyptian mythology. It's not some weird alligator, lion, hippo, demon that eats our heart, Lord. It's an eternity 
of torture and punishment and separation from you for anyone who denies you here in this life. Lord, we ask and we pray that you would move on the hearts of those who do not yet believe to draw them to belief. Lord, we ask that you would move among us and those of us who have heaped up sin and callousness and weight onto our heart, that you would melt our hearts of stone and we would return to you once again. God, I pray that we would be obedient and respond to your word this morning. Whether we're watching from home or watching here or participating in whatever way, Lord, would you move during this time? Would your spirit bless us and draw us back into your presence? We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.